0: Hello everyone, this is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to the fourth installment of our multi-part series on cryptocurrency taxation. In the first episode of this series, we discussed the very basics of cryptocurrency taxation. We followed that up with an episode on more advanced aspects of cryptocurrency taxation. Our last episode went through all things cryptocurrency tax audits. You can find all these episodes on talk.bitcoin.tax and by clicking on the Taxes on Crypto series link. Make sure you don't miss this series as it's going to answer pretty much every question you have about cryptocurrency taxation. In this episode, we're going to be exploring real-world cryptocurrency tax scenarios with a cryptocurrency tax professional who's been in this space for many years. With all that being said, welcome to the show, Andrew Gordon. Andrew is a frequent guest on our podcast. He's been on many times. He's given us very valuable information uh, in terms of cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency taxation. He's been around in the crypto game for quite a while. Um, Andrew, thanks for being here today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be on the show today yes excited to have you so can you just give us a brief little um introduction about your history in the crypto tax space
1: sure so hi everyone my name again is andrew gordon i'm an attorney and also a cpa i uh, did my master's in accounting before i went to law school so i have the uh, privilege of having both distinctions um in my practice i've been working in cryptocurrency since 2014 Uh, so early on back in the day when there was very little guidance on cryptocurrency. And back then, we were helping clients try to figure out how to report magic internet money. And uh, since then, a lot has changed in some respects uh, in terms of crypto guidance. And in other respects, there have been not as much change and um, not as much guidance as we would like. So we've been very active helping clients report, also defending
0: clients in audits and even criminal investigations. All right. And you mentioned guidance and how guidance has you know, we don't have enough guidance right now and how guidance has changed. I'm curious about certain aspects in crypto, something like liquidity swaps. There's not much guidance on something like that. So how do you navigate something like that where there isn't a ton of guidance? How do you navigate that with with the clients you work with?
1: Yeah. And I think that's one of the joys of working in the crypto tech space. So I started my firm about 10 years ago and I have uh, the privilege of getting to uh, work on whatever cases I so choose. And I've chosen the path of working in crypto tax. And one of the reasons is because I think it's a, a constant challenge where we have to look at law that was developed over decades and during periods of time where there was no technology and, in fact, nothing even like cryptocurrency. And we've got to use very limited guidance that the IRS has issued since crypto uh, has occurred. And apply that and the old law to this new technology. Um, and so liquidity pools is a prime example. The IRS has said cryptocurrency is property. They did that in 2014. And so they created this overall umbrella. Everything is is property that occurs in, in crypto. And the tax rules with respect to property apply to crypto. And so now we can look at all of the decades of case law on property, things like stock transactions and analogize it to crypto, even though it doesn't specifically say crypto, we can say that, well, in these types of situation, it has been historically treated this way. And because that is property and crypto also is property, it's likely to uh, be treated this way when applied here. Um, but liquidity pools is an entirely different beast. There's not really case law or examples of liquidity pools, right? There, are, There might be things kind of like it, historically, um, but nothing exact. Um, And even liquidity pools itself, there's no specific IRS guidance on how they are to be taxed. So we have to, again, just apply the general rules and the old laws that that we have. And so let's break down liquidity pools, sale, if you don't mind, let's kind of go into the nitty gritty of it. Please. So um, let's uh, say, for example, you are entering into a liquidity pool and you deposit a hundred ETH and then when you exit the liquidity pool, you get 101
0: ETH. How is this taxed, right? Is that, Sal, the core of your question here? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, as you know, there are all sorts of like protocols and different liquidity pools. But yeah, in general, when I talk about liquidity pools, I usually use an example like that with the 100 ETH and the 101 ETH. Common sense would would say to me, like, you know, that one extra ETH that you get is what you're taxed on. You have to look at the rules of, are you disposing of it? Are you not disposing of it? So in, in general, that is my question. Yes.
1: Yeah. And you're right. And common sense would say, hey, you've increased one ETH. Um, but from a tax perspective, tax doesn't always follow common sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wish it did. Um, my life <laughs> would be a lot simpler, but it doesn't. Um, and so when we get into the actual substance of the transaction, sometimes when entering a liquidity pool, you receive a new token. You deposit eth and you get uh, a eth or c or whatever back. And you've got a new token. And sometimes these new tokens even have, new properties. Maybe they could be staked or they could do different things, that the old token couldn't. Um, And then later on, when you want to exit the pool, you swap that token back and you get ETH. And that's where that increase occurs. Not all LP pools uh, behave this way. And so you've got to look at how each one actually interacts, but some of them, this is the pattern they follow. And when looking at this transaction, there's a strong argument that there was a taxable event when you entered the LP, when you received a new token in exchange for your deposit. It was basically the disposition of your ETH, the sale of your ETH, and you got a new token in return. So the IRS in uh, some situations is likely to argue that that is a taxable event. And then separately, when you get out of the LP pool, when you trade the C ETH back and get ETH in return, a new taxable event. So we've got two capital transactions on something that on its face just seems like you
0: increased some ETH along the way. I think it also gets confusing too, because something like AETH, if I recall, has a market, whereas some of the coins that you receive from these liquidity pools don't necessarily have a market, right? Like they're just signifier coins. They just establish that, you know, this event took place and they don't necessarily, you can't go on coinmarketcap.com and say, you know, type in, I think maybe like, uni v2 or there were there were certain coins that you would just get that really didn't have a market value and is that the same like is that the same as receiving something like a eth that is a coin that has a market cap or does it vary based on the liquidity swap but you know i I don't expect you to explain every single type of liquidity (laughs) protocol but for people listening that play around with these how how can they know if what they're doing is taxable
1: Yeah. And the short answer that everyone hates is it depends because you're absolutely right. Some of these tokens have their own markets. They have their own values. It's pretty apparent that it's a new asset, that you've got something different Mm -hmm. in exchange for your deposit. On the other hand, there are some that don't really have any properties. You can't trade them. They seem more akin to what we refer to as a claim ticket. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. Show your ownership in, in the underlying asset, but itself, it doesn't mean anything. Right. Um, so, you know, I think in some cases, there could be a strong argument for that. And in that case, then it would be treated more like income, right? Your claim ticket shows your ownership of uh, your deposit, of your 100 ETH, for instance. And then as that ETH increases, it goes to 100.5, then 101. Well, then you have income, just like a, a bank account might have interest or staking rewards might be received, more like income. So it, yeah, it, it unfortunately really depends on the protocol. And I wish more of these exchanges and protocols considered tax um, because yeah. the way that they actually design things could have significant impact on the underlying tax treatment.
0: Yeah, it's almost like when they design them, they're purposefully making it as complex as possible when it comes to taxation it's not only are they not paying attention to tax it's like they're making it as complex as possible in terms of taxation yeah i agree it feels that way sometimes (laughs) well in, in that case you know that brings me to my next point about the power of using a tax professional like yourself. And you know, you're know you partnered with us through our full service tax option, which allows customers to just kind of come to your firm and, and say, hey, Andrew and team, I need your guys' help. Please just do this for me, where you guys will just kind of take over and, and work with the client as much as they need. So let's talk a little bit about, aside from what we just went over, which was like the complexities of liquidity swaps, let's talk about why it is so important to have uh, a tax professional like yourself on your side if you're doing these complex tax events. Um, you have a lot of customers and a lot of clients that deal with this kind of stuff, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And not even as complicated as liquidity pools. As soon as you start to get involved with multiple exchanges, wallets, or everyone's favorite word, DeFi, mm-hmm. things can be more complex. And often the tax treatment on a certain transaction can vary there might be options. And so one of the things that we do with our client are talk through the different options and tax treatments on certain transactions. Some of these things are black or white and there is a clear answer. Mm -hmm. But on some transactions, it depends um, not only on the facts, but also risk tolerance. And so knowing the options and knowing how that could play out if for instance, you were audited, is very important. Um, And so the software does an excellent job of calculating gains, loss, taxable implications, but it has to do so based on a rule set. Um, And that's where we come in and we can help not only identify what is taxable and what's not, but also work through potential areas where changes could be made from a tax perspective, uh, hopefully to your benefit, or otherwise, at least so you're aware of what, what the tax laws are.
0: Yeah. So what are some of the biggest mistakes you would say that that people make in crypto tax that, that maybe eventually lead to them coming to you guys or that you see when you're engaging with these clients? So one of the most common is missing
1: data or transaction records and the inability to include it all in the software. And this has happened even though it's 2023 and you think nowadays exchanges don't just disappear and the data doesn't disappear. Um, it happens even with some of the exchanges that have gone away in the last year. So we very frequently will see people that were missing data um, and then tried to still generate tax reports. And what you'll find is that you'll have missing sides of transactions. You'll have maybe a withdrawal or deposit, um, but not the other side because it's missing some of the data. And so that could lead to very negative tax consequences because we don't have the full data to match it as a self-transfer. And also sometimes the the software may consider something as income deposits as income, for instance, um, when it's in fact not. So having all of the data is, is very important, but we realize also it's not always possible. So being able to identify where the data gaps exist and filling those gaps Uh, which gets me to another point um, that is a a common issue, which is having the holdings not align with your actual holdings. So Bitcoin.tax has a wonderful feature where you can see your closing report. You can see your holdings at the end of the year. And we'll see often that people are focused just on the gains or losses, right? The gains look right, this must be right. But uh, if their closing report isn't aligned, then in future years, as they buy or sell, those reports will start to look far and farther from the reality. And at that point, it's a lot harder to make changes. You'll have to make amendments, and you're going back and trying to figure out what occurred. So before closing out a tax year and finalizing the reports, paying attention to that holding uh, report, making sure it's accurate. And if it's not, then either on your own or with the help of a professional, working through adjustments. So that it more accurately reflects what you're at, what you were holding at the end of the year.
0: Yeah, and on the note of transaction history from exchanges, you said you would expect them in 2023 for these multi-million dollar exchanges to have it together and to provide this data to customers in a succinct and accurate way. But that could not be further from the truth. And you know, as a matter of fact, I was just telling you before we started recording that. You know, one of these exchanges, OKCoin, in the past five days, they updated their format. You know, it's it's mid March, a height of tax season, and they're opting to create a completely new transaction history. Who knows what the reasoning is behind that? But that creates all sorts of problems for people because every software out there is expecting one transaction history, and then all of a sudden, you know, March fifteenth, these these guys have a new transaction history. Um, and, the, and, you know, that's problematic. So I think it's really important to stay up to date on these CSVs. Always download them. Maybe download them once once a month as frequently as you can. Create a little folder on your desktop and just put those CSVs in there. That way, when you go to a tax professional or if you're doing it on your own, you'll have your entire history there and you'll have all the different forms of the CSV. You'll know if they change. You'll be able to see if they changed. And that's really the best thing you can do is keep all of your information and be really detailed with your with your data keeping. If you're listening to this, that's the most important thing you should take away is be detailed with your data keeping and your record keeping. Because even if you go to a tax pro, they're going to love you if you come to them with a folder full of all your files and they don't have to bug you for those files. Right, Andrew? Definitely. Um, people often ask, how do I minimize
1: uh, your fees? Mm-hmm. One of the easiest ways is have all the data have it organized, ready to go. Um, Because having complete data, as I mentioned before, not only leads to more accurate results, but leads to a more efficient process. So I think that your advice is spot on. Having those reports on your desktop, downloading them frequently is a a key to success.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's not always in the hands of the crypto consumer obviously there's things they can do like i said most important get your files but sometimes things are out of their hands sometimes exchanges shut down and people aren't expecting it and that's happened a lot in 2022 a lot of uh, big crypto exchanges just went away um so in those cases when those crypto exchanges shut down there's a couple things a what can they do if they're not able to get their transaction history how do they handle that you know, with the exchange shut down. And then B, the really important thing that a lot of people are asking about is are those losses that they can claim that crypto? Yeah, and that's a
1: great question. And it's very unfortunate with all of the different exchanges and platforms that have gone down, not only because of the potential loss of the deposits, but also now because of all the ambiguity on tax considerations and even worse, the loss of data, which Mm -hmm. is just shocking and appalling. Um, but let's break it down. And at the end of this, I will give you, um, a, uh, an example of what our clients are typically doing in this case. Great. So, um, yeah. Um, the tax code says that in general to claim a loss, it needs to be known and complete. And in the case of BlockFi, Celsius, FTX, and the list goes on, they're generally in bankruptcy. And although many people suspect that the loss is going to be complete, that nothing is going to end up out of bankruptcy, that is not known as of now. In fact, bankruptcy, the intent is so that all of the creditors, the people that had deposits, are able to get in part or in full what they had on there. And what we're seeing is that that may be the case, that some people may get partial recoveries. Even recently, it looks like on Celsius that some depositors will get access uh, to some of the tokens. So it is yet to be seen in the examples of bankruptcy, whether or not the loss is complete, whether you're going to get zero or um, a certain percentage. And because of that uncertainty in general, the tax code would say that there's not a loss now. And so once that loss becomes known, once the bankruptcy is resolved, then typically you can take a loss. There are other potential options that sometimes are looked at. For example, theft loss deductions or casualty loss. But those are ruled out because in 2018 or 2018 forward, those only apply to natural disasters, which we don't have here. There's another option with Ponzi losses. So after um, the Madoff scandal Ponzi scheme in the past, Congress enacted a, a special set of laws and allowed for a Ponzi deduction. In the case of FTX Celsius and so forth, we're not quite at a place where this is a Ponzi scheme, um, or at least indictments haven't been made. So is probably off the table as well. Um, so there are options typically that can be looked at, but as of now with the uncertainty, none of them fit exactly. And so what do you do? Well, most of our clients that had deposits or significant deposits on these exchanges are filing extensions so that they can have an additional six months to file. And we're crossing our fingers and hoping that Congress or Treasury has some sort of change in law to allow for greater deduction or claiming of loss in this time, or that in the context of bankruptcy, there's greater clarity. So we're taking a a more wait and see approach. Um, Of course, there are potential penalties and interest with filing an extension and not paying. So it needs to be weighed and considered. But if you've got significant deposits on any of the platforms that have filed for bankruptcy or closed, It it might be worth waiting to see uh, how that unfolds. And that then answers, hopefully, the second question, which is, how do I report? Do I report if I can't get access to my records because the exchange closed? Uh, Hopefully, as part of bankruptcy, a lot of them have, even in recent weeks, issued tax forms, issued 1099s. And so hopefully the data will become available in in the coming months. Uh, Because at the end, as a taxpayer, you still have the obligation to report. Even if you can't get that data now, you still need to file your tax returns by the deadline or the extension deadline, and you still need to use your best efforts in trying to report um, everything that you can. Hopefully, that provides an overview.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as Alex said in our last episode, as Alex Kugelman said, uh, one of the favorite quotes of the IRS is to say that it's the responsibility of the taxpayer to have good record keeping. And you know, that includes record keeping, even if the exchange shut down, that's why you should be exporting your files every month. (laughs) Yep, exactly. So you mentioned filing an extension. And as I mentioned last week, we talked to Alex Kugelman, he gave us all the um, info on cryptocurrency audits. I'm curious, a lot of people are going to be filing extensions. Would you say that filing an extension is something that could increase your chance of an audit? Or is it just kind of, you know, many people do it. So it's not something that would increase the chance of an audit. So I'm
1: not sure if there's any official statistics on the audit rate of extended returns versus original deadline returns. But in our experience, we haven't seen any increased risk by filing an extension. In fact, many people um, in the US file extensions for various reasons, including because businesses haven't issued K-1s yet. So we haven't seen uh, an increase as a result of filing extension. In fact, in some cases, it may reduce your audit risk because if you didn't have complete information and then you filed, and then subsequently all that information became available and say the IRS got it, they may identify you for audit because of that mismatch. So the time might be on your side so that you can have more complete records and to reduce risks of audit.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Great point. All right, Andrew. So another complexity in crypto taxation is how you should calculate your cryptocurrency gains. So for example, at Bitcoin.tax, we set the default to FIFO, first in, first out. I've seen other tax softwares default to other things. And I've seen even like Coinbase and other crypto exchanges that offer their own kind of tax summary use other methods as well, like LIFO and, and HIFO. At Tax, we allow for the option for users to use whichever method they want. But is there any sort of inherent risk or what is the accepted method to use for the IRS? I mean, aside from FIFO, what's the best option here? There's so many options. What should people do? So
1: this, I would say, is one of the largest gray areas of the tax code with respect to crypto. And it's one that since the beginning of crypto trades... We've wanted clarity from the IRS and what this comes down to at the core. So if you're listening and you don't even know what we're talking about, what we're talking about is when you're buying crypto over time, say you're buying Bitcoin and you're buying 0.1 every couple of months, and then you sell some, which did you sell? Did you sell the oldest Bitcoin that you bought? Did you sell the most recent? Did you sell the highest cost basis, right? There's different different ways potentially that it could be treated. And as a result, the gains or loss that comes from that could change as well, because maybe the first Bitcoin was the cheapest and the last was the most expensive. And so if you sold the first, well, then you've got a big gain. So the last, you got a small gain, which does the IRS allow? And that's been a a big question. The IRS, a couple of years ago, in their FAQs on the IRS website, and they've got a wonderful FAQ section for crypto with a little over 40 questions and answers, seeks to answer this question. Um, And they say that uh, you should use first in, first out, or sell the oldest one first, unless you make a specific identification of the units. Well, what's a specific identification, you may ask? The IRS thought you might ask, and they answered that question next. Uh, The question goes, how do I identify specific units of virtual currency? And here's where things get murky. The IRS provides an answer, but in that raises more questions than in some ways it answers. Um, The IRS says that you can identify crypto by documenting unique identifiers, private and public keys, addresses, or showing everything in a certain wallet. Um, The information has to show the date it was bought, the date it was sold, the purchase price, and the sales price, which we have those last four, right? If we're using bitcoin.tax, we have those four. But how specific do we need to be? And that that first part of the equation, do we need to show identifiers what needs to be shown? And that's where things are hazy. we have generally suggest taking a conservative approach and using FIFO, because what we've seen in some cases of audit is that the IRS looks at this guidance very strictly and says that you need to point to, for example, transaction hashes or unique identifiers to show the actual movement of the crypto tokens, to show which ones you actually Sometimes that's possible, sometimes it's not. Um, but um, this is kind of an area that, again, it's, it's uncertain. And that's where it makes sense that the users can have the option depending on their risk tolerance and how their tax professional reviews the code. But what, from what we've seen, that there are cases in audit where the IRS looks at this very strictly and says, you can't at the end of the year just decide which ones you want to sell. You actually need to pick which ones Uh, You want to sell in advance and uh, act appropriately, move them from certain wallets uh, or so forth,
0: which is Um, is interesting because that would make sense if, let's say, for example, you know, you bought a bunch of stuff everywhere and then you transferred it all to Coinbase. Right. Just for hmm. this example. And then on Coinbase, you sell some Bitcoin. There's not the option as far as I recall. When you sell Bitcoin on Coinbase to choose which one you're selling, right? So if all the exchanges offered that ability to say, I want to choose this Bitcoin that I deposited on this date to sell, then it would make more sense that that would be how you reported your specific identification. But as far as I know, the exchanges aren't allowing for that to happen. They don't have the technology to do that currently. No, you're absolutely
1: right. When you execute a sale from Coinbase, say, hey, I want to sell this unit. Um, That said, Coinbase has released information saying that when they sell, they use HIFO, that they'll sell the highest cost basis first. But yeah, that's not necessarily consistent with all other exchanges. What if you transferred from another exchange? Uh, Most exchanges don't respond on how they're selling units and you can't direct them. So it's it's definitely a a, a vague area uh, when you actually apply the guidance to the practical side of things how can this actually be done
0: right and if i were just an average consumer and i didn't have this knowledge or this experience that i have had in this space and i was using coinbase and then i went to bitcoin.tax if i saw that coinbase was using hyfo and i saw that using hyfo on bitcoin.tax would yield the lowest amount of gains i would definitely use hyfo like i I would be a no-brainer for me and then it would be unfortunate if that got you know flagged by the irs as as uh not allowed to do when the biggest exchange in cryptocurrency or one of the biggest exchanges in cryptocurrency is is doing it that way it seems kind of wild to expect customers to not use that option
1: right right and then the question becomes can it be applied universally across all exchanges or does it have to be applied just exchange by exchange and these questions haven't been answered and it could be very impactful um and in the next couple of years these exchanges are going to be required to issue tax forms. And that's going to be an entirely new mess because yeah. what form are they going to be right. issuing it and
0: how is it going to be consistent across exchanges? They literally can't even get anything right now in terms of just reporting transaction history. So to me, it's, it's kind of, I don't mean this rudely, but it is almost laughable to expect that these exchanges are going to get it together enough to all unify and report things in a way that adheres to what the government says they need to do. It just seems... I don't expect that to actually happen I don't know maybe I'm just being a pessimist but I've dealt with these exchanges for a while now it seems crazy
1: yeah well, hopefully with uh, the right motivation and some guidance from the government it can be done with the stock industry securities industry there had to be similar changes because not too long ago the institutions would not report your cost basis on your tax forms. Mm -hmm. In fact, when you moved a stock from E-Trade to Robinhood, the cost basis information would be lost. Now, generally, that information is transferred over and it's reported on your tax forms, your cost basis, your sales price. So they've developed ways where they communicate with one another. And so if you're transferring stock from one to another, that that information can carry over. So it is possible... Um, of course, crypto is a completely different game than stocks, right? Um, the the volume, the uh, different uh, types of tokens and things out there, there's a lot of distinctions, even, but even I think DeFi, it could be done.
0: Right? Like, I don't yeah. think there's a, a DeFi equivalent when it comes to stocks. I mean, I'm not a big stock guy, but I can't think of an obvious equivalency um, between DeFi uh, and crypto and, and a DeFi and stocks, right? Yeah, you're right. So that it just makes things so tricky. But um, yeah. I mean, again, though, that leads back to why you need experts in your corner and you know why you should use good software and really investigate the software that you're using to make sure that everybody's on the same page here and that everybody kind of is in the know when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, Andrew. So, you know, we kind of discussed how since there are so many gray areas in crypto, a lot of these gray areas make it so that The implications aren't exactly beneficial to taxpayers. Um, Are there any of these gray areas that make it so taxpayers do stand to benefit from some of this ambiguity in the crypto tax space? So there's a
1: massive loophole and slightly gray area, yet most people think it's clearly black or white, with crypto that doesn't apply to stocks or other property. And that's the wash sale rule. So with stocks or other securities, if you sell at a loss and then rebuy within 30 days, then you aren't able to take that loss. It's a wash. With crypto, however, most people say that the rule doesn't apply based on the writing of the code. We have to interpret the code strictly. It says stocks or securities. Crypto is not a stock or security. So most people think that wash-sell rules don't apply to crypto. As a result, you can sell at a loss, realize and harvest that loss, and then buy back quite quickly, not have to wait even days or a month, uh, but buy back quite quickly. So that way you can take a tax loss, but still from a practical level, nothing's really changed. You still have the same tokens. You just now have a tax loss. And this is a very important loophole to be aware of because we don't think that it's going to last forever. There have been recent efforts by the Biden administration to have the wash sale rule apply to crypto. And this has happened in just the last few weeks. Um, And so most laws aren't retroactive. So it's not likely that it it would apply to 2023 or earlier years. But it is likely, even if not through this bill, that in the future, the wash sale rule may be removed or may be applied to crypto. Um, and so this is something that, that uh, depending on your view of the watchtower rule, can lead to massive tax savings. Um, but this is unique to
0: crypto rather than stocks. It's also, if that does happen, it's another one of those things, like I, I mentioned earlier, how an exchange in the middle of March decided to change their CSV format. That's minor when you think about if all of a sudden they said that watchtower rules do apply in crypto after years and years and years of of people who are in the know um calculating that that they don't apply to crypto it's kind of wild that all of a sudden you have to change your perspective all the software is going to have to change it the, again the the exchanges if all of a sudden they do get it together and have this unified front they're going to have to change the ways that they report things so it's just kind of wild to think about if that does happen um how you know how much work has to go into that
1: Yeah, absolutely. And not only the amount of work, but also just from a tax planning standpoint, to share an example, uh, we had a a client last year that going into November, December had almost a million dollars of gains. Yet after looking at their portfolio, we saw that they had other tokens, in fact, a number of NFTs that were basically worthless, Um, yet they bought them at a very high price. And so they made the decision to sell um, a lot of those assets, realize those losses um, to offset the other gains. Uh, some of those NFTs, of course, they just let slide and that was the end of it. Many of the other tokens they bought back. Um, and so they took advantage of that wash sale rule to basically eliminate their taxable gains. So going into that period, they had massive gains, but then they were able to knock it out and still hold the same crypto. So it's a, a very helpful tool um, for tax
0: planning. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and that's great that there are ways that you know this ambiguity in the tax code does work in the favor of the taxpayer to decrease their tax liability. Um, are there any other examples of that, like something, an ambiguity in the tax code that would allow somebody to have a, a decreased tax burden? So not necessarily an ambiguity, but
1: an incredible way to use the options and the tax code to your advantage would be to utilize the IRS as a creditor. I know what you're thinking. It's absolutely insane. The big, bad IRS, why do I want them on my back? Well, believe it or not, although filing your tax return and filing accurately is incredibly important, you have massive penalties or even worse, not paying your tax is sometimes the right business or economic decision. And as long as you work within the IRS code and the different programs they have available, you can do so legally and um, have the IRS uh, allow you to pay over time or even a lump sum settlement. And so let's talk about an example. Uh, We had a client last year that um, owed a a little over $300,000 in tax, And um, they were confronted with a situation where they could liquidate nearly all of their crypto. It was worth about $400,000 if they liquidated it all today. But at the same time, the, the market um, was at a, a low and they were very confident that the price would go up over time. And to liquidate all of this would be to liquidate everything that they've accumulated uh, over time. And so, while that was one option, the IRS also allows you to enter into payment plans. And the IRS has very formal requirements and policies with respect to payment plans. And our team has reviewed all of this, and we basically can step into the shoes of the IRS and know exactly how they'll analyze the situation and what documents they'll ask for. It. And depending on the amount owed, there are ways to get payment plans with the IRS without even having to provide financial information to them. So without even having to show them that there is all of this crypto out there. Um, And then there's even other programs available where they'll, they'll want to see that you have the funds only so that they know that you'll pay over time, but that they won't demand that it be liquidated. And so knowing the different ways that you can get payment plans can allow you to keep your crypto Um, have a loan from the IRS where you've got to pay monthly towards that balance, but still be able to hold on to your crypto. Um, At the end of the day, it provides options for our clients and for those of you listening so that you don't necessarily have to sell everything all at once and that perhaps you can make decisions and sell over time to meet those
0: obligations. Yeah, that's absolutely huge because I know a lot of people are nervous when it comes to crypto to even report because they might not have the money they might think they owe a lot of money and they might not have that money so they sometimes people will just say screw it i'm not going to do that which is the worst option so it's good to know that there are these plans out there that people can take advantage of as a a rule of thumb the monetary penalties for not
1: filing versus not paying the penalties for not filing are 10 times worse and um (laughs) And not only is that just a fact, but in addition to that, it just becomes a snowball problem when you aren't filing your tax returns. So definitely if you're afraid of the amount owed, don't let that be a reason to not file. Or if you are filing to report all your, your crypto, definitely the wrong approach. Instead, file and then seek professional help or even before you file um, so that you can get into a payment plan and and not have to worry about a knock on the door. Yep.
0: All right, Andrew, thank you so much. Uh, that's all great information. There's so many gray areas in crypto, like we discussed. So I really appreciate you going over those and talking about some of the clients that you've had and how you've dealt with those situations. Thanks as always, Andrew. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, I look forward to being back in the future. Look forward to having you back. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crypto Taxes Explained Guide. You can listen to this whole series by going to bitcoin.tax slash crypto tax guide. If you enjoyed this series, we'd really appreciate if you left us a positive review on whichever platform you're currently listening on. Don't forget, you can go to bitcoin.tax for any of your cryptocurrency tax calculation needs. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks again for listening.